How can we as healthcare practitioners move from just providing disease management to providing true healthcare? That is the question, and this is the answer. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast that helps you grow your practice and expand your skills as a practitioner. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for wellness-minded people and professionals who are passionate about transforming our broken healthcare system. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo, and I firmly believe that all diseases can be prevented or reversed, and I'm dedicated to empowering millions of people to live their best life possible free of disease and dysfunction, and to training health practitioners to practice this in their own lives. So I have a very special guest today, and it's about a topic that's near and dear to my heart because of my family history, which is cardiovascular disease and hypertension. So Dr. Ellie Campbell, she's in solo practice, and she has specialty interests in all the things up our alley here, functional medicine, bioidentical hormones, cardiovascular disease prevention, natural treatments for high blood pressure, and she has a book that's coming out in a few weeks all about that, and it might already be out by the time you hear this. And oral systemic connection, and I specifically want to talk to her today about the connection between oral disease and the heart. Welcome. She's been certified in family medicine for over 30 years, has a certification from the American Board of Integrative Medicine, and she graduated Kirksville College of Osteopathic Medicine, the Medical College of Georgia. So I asked her to be here today to talk specifically about cardiovascular disease and hypertension because I personally have lost lots of loved ones. Parents who didn't even know they had cardiovascular disease left us way too soon. Cousins, aunts, uncles, a lot of people in my life. And I know that that's in our genetic lineage. And I really want to get it out to you guys as practitioners to know how to look for this before it happens and how not to wait for the first sign to be dying of a heart attack like it was for my family members. So uh, Dr. Ellie, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's my honor and pleasure to be with you today. And I hope to be able to teach your audience a few tips and tricks of things that I didn't know about that escaped my knowledge base and therefore resulted in a patient death. Can I tell you a story about how I got into this? Yes, please. So um, I took care of Dee. Well, first I took care of Dee's daughter, Cheryl. She came to see me at the age of 42 with fertility questions. And I helped her get pregnant with her second child after the fertility doctor told her she couldn't at her advanced age. So after Cheryl and the two kids became my patients, then her mother came to see me for bioidentical hormone replacement therapy because she had this much younger boyfriend that she needed to keep up with. Ah. And so Adi was this spunky grandmother. She was the matriarch of this family. She worked in the family business. She was just a delightful woman. She also happened to have high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So I knew that she was at cardiovascular risk and I treated her for those conditions very conventionally, but also with my functional medicine lens this was before I had a deep understanding of the many root causes of cardiovascular disease beyond cholesterol and hypertension, right? And I was wrong about cholesterol. We can talk about that another story. So I did do her bioidentical hormone therapy. And one day her daughter called me panicked because mom didn't show up for work that day. 
And she ran over to her house and she knocked on all the doors and windows and found her mother slumped on the floor, conscious, but barely breathing. She was paralyzed on one side and she'd had a dense hemiparetic stroke. And so uh, she survived that stroke and she went to the rehab center at the hospital across the street because there had been too much time elapsed for her to qualify for those miracle clot busting drugs that can sometimes be used in an acute stroke. She didn't qualify. So she kind of joked with us that it was going to be hard to line dance, dragging her arm and leg, and she was going to have to have a, a lot of rehab. Well, about five days into her hospitalization, this tragic thing happened, and it happens in up to 40% of strokes. That damaged blood vessel burst, and she had a brain hemorrhage, and Dee died. And I felt gut-punched because I was entrusted as the family doctor to take care of her. And I must have missed something, must have not identified a root cause of what caused this stroke, what triggered this life-stealing event. And so I spent the next three years of my career studying everything I could about cardiovascular disease. And as I advanced my knowledge, I called her daughter and I said, I think I've understood. I think I know what I might have missed. Is it possible that your mother had a mouth problem, had gum disease, had it infected too. She goes, well, yeah. I go, what do you mean? She goes, she had a toothache and she was supposed to have her tooth extracted, but the appointment wasn't for two weeks and she had her stroke before she got to the dentist. And so now I know that Dee had this high level of inflammation that was untreated and these mouth bacteria got in her bloodstream. Lipopolysaccharide is highly inflammatory, set off this inflammatory trigger and triggered her stroke. I have no doubt that that's what happened. Now I am much more aggressive at screening for myeloperoxidase and LPPLA2 because these are biomarkers in the blood that I can use that clue me in to the fact that there's a dental condition contributing to this patient's systemic health. And by, by partnering with my dentists, I now have identified, I can't even tell you how many, we've probably had 11 teeth extracted this year from patients who I identified with my blood work that they had markers of inflammation that led us to a cone beam CAT scan that identified an abscess, that identified a tooth that was triggering inflammation. Whoa. And so- it was practice changing for me to understand this oral systemic connection. Absolutely. And it was all because of Dee's death, but I used her death as a tool to teach me what I needed to know to help the rest of my patients. Prevent and there's a whole chapter in my book about oral health being a contributor to hypertension and cardiovascular risk. So is this the trigger that caused you to do the research and then write this book? Is this why you chose that over like hundreds of other things you could have written about? Yeah. And it's because, you know, I'm in the space of functional medicine and I see us working so hard on treating people with adrenal fatigue and bioidentical hormones and mold toxin illness and MCAS and all these things. But cardiovascular disease is the number one killer number in the country. Killer. And if yes. we're ignoring that, while we're treating these other things, like in a small way, I didn't understand in treating D with bioidentical hormones that I needed to be focusing on her oral health as part of her prevention, right? 
I, I felt like this is a piece that functional medicine practitioners are not paying attention to. And yet every single day we collect vital signs, right? What are our vital signs? It's blood pressure and heart rate, but most of us are checking it wrong. I've learned that in my research. So I want to teach people the right way to check blood pressure. And, and I think it's such a vital piece of healthcare. I think every dentist and every medical doctor should be checking blood pressure at every encounter and using that as an opportunity to assess a state of oxidative stress and inflammation and work on those things simultaneously while we're working on all those other things that we do. But nobody in our space is talking much about blood pressure, and I felt like it was a neglected piece. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear that. So I want you to repeat those tests so everybody can write them down and make sure they include it. We talk a lot about getting some of the more advanced lipid panels. Um, and I've talked about these before. So I want people to hear this, that these are related, you're saying, to problems going on with the gums or specifically they're just risk factors? No, they're both. So uh, the two tests are myeloperoxidase, and LPPLA2, that stands for lipoprotein, um, plaque-associated, lipoprotein-associated, I can't remember. Whatever. <laughs> I can't remember the name LPPLA2. It's easy to find. Um, yes. yes. Um, and they're both available through um, Quest Labs does it in their Cardio IQ panel. Cleveland Heart Labs does this test. Berkeley Heart Labs does this test. And you can read about them in the conventional cardiology literature, but also in the dental literature. So this is where we have learned that myeloperoxidase is generally thought, if we think about plaque forming behind the drywall of the artery, right? It builds up. It doesn't clog the plumbing like we typically would think sewer of grease in the sewer clogging the drain. That's not how it works. It builds up in that intimate media space, the space behind the drywall of the artery. And that plaque gets more and more inflamed. And it gets inflamed because of white blood cells inside that um, plaque, along with biofilm and cytokines and tumor necrosis alpha and um, lipopolysaccharides from gram-negative bacteria. Often, mouth bacteria are in that plaque as well. And they trigger an inflammatory response in the white blood cells and they make this plaque enzyme. And so it's a symbol that that plaque is rumbling like a volcano behind the drywall. If it actually erupts or there's a plaque rupture or a plaque erosion and that cholesterol and cytokines and lipopolysaccharide all start to leak into the bloodstream, the body responds with a blood clot over the top of that cholesterol ooze. And if that blood clot is small, it will simply remodel the shape of the artery. And you'll get a little speed bump in there, which you can later assess with the ultrasound and it looks as plaque. However, if that clot is large and it occludes the vessel, now you have a sudden event, a sudden cardiovascular event if it's in a coronary artery, a sudden cerebral event if it's in the brain, a sudden blind spot if it's in the retinal artery, right? So we have a sudden event from a large enough blood clot. Well, once that oozy cholesterol plaque gets in the bloodstream, myeloperoxidase, that enzyme is released. So we now know that there's an acute event. That's in the cardiovascular literature. But if we go to the dental literature, we find that myeloperoxidase is also released 
at the apex of an infected tooth abscess. And we can measure myeloperoxidase in the jaw bone or the cheekbone of an abscess tooth. And it gets in the bloodstream and can be measured the same way. So now I have a cardiovascular test and a dental test that tell me the same thing, right? That tells me that there's activated white blood cells in the face of an acute problem. And nobody's testing for this. I mean, very few people, right? Very few people. Yeah. So I am on the board of directors of the American Academy for Oral and Systemic Health. It's a nonprofit organization whose mission is to unite medicine and dentistry. At our last meeting, we had over a thousand practitioners, more than 90% of whom are dentists. So I'm teaching this to dentists so that dentists can draw blood and detect whether the pay, because I didn't finish the story. So myeloperoxidase tells me that there's a tooth root problem and LPPLA2 is in the gingival sulcus. It's in the gums. So when there's periodontal disease as a trigger, LPPLA2 will be elevated. So especially when I draw my inflammatory blood work and I see an elevated high sensitivity C-reactive protein and an elevated LPPLA2, that patient has periodontal disease until proven otherwise. And we know that those periodontal bacteria, we call them the red complex bacteria. There are five of them. Um, they all have letter names. Those five bacteria are known to be associated with acute cardiovascular events and the advancement of atherosclerosis. So I don't want my patient advancing their atherosclerosis because they have gum disease, because they have periodontitis. So I have an established relationship with many dentists in my community so that we have a protocol to identify which bacteria are there, identify them by names, and then create a treatment protocol to eradicate those mouth bacteria and then retest them and make sure that we've done a good job. And when I do that, I see objective evidence of the reversal of atherosclerotic plaque. And I do that by measuring carotid intimimediate thickness using an ultrasound machine. So I track these numbers over time and I watch my patient go from the 95th percentile to the 75th percentile to the 50th percentile to the 33rd percentile over two or three years time. I see that plaque shrink and I know that their symptoms are better. They have more energy. They don't feel fatigued because their blood flow is better because their arteries are more open. So all from identifying this oral and systemic connection. Um, this is mind blowing because first of all, I think about my parents, right? My dad died of a sudden onset heart attack at age 62, 64, something like that. He had horrible teeth horrible teeth and gum disease probably. I didn't know enough to ask him way back then. So I see that connection. I also see there's so many people that we see that all of a sudden they're gone or they have a heart attack or a stroke out of the blue, right? And they're not making this connection. So this is awesome news. So I was going to say, I have a girlfriend who's a, who's a physician, her husband, also a physician, avid tennis player. He was out on the tennis courts playing singles tennis in his early sixties and had sudden cardiac death on the tennis court. Fortunately, the person on the other side of the net was also a physician, knew CPR, jumped the net, started CPR, 
The ambulance was there within three minutes. They were less than five minutes from the hospital. He spent um, a week in ICU. They chilled his body temperature down. He was in an ice bath. They didn't know if he was going to be brain dead or survive. He's completely normal. And I asked her, I said, he went back to work as a plastic surgeon. I mean, amazing story, right? Thank this is the, the remarkable story of on-site CPR. But um, I said, just by any chance, was he having any dental problems going into his tennis game? She goes, as a matter of fact, he was on antibiotics for a toothache. And since Dee's story, at least 90% of the patients that I have asked that question of when they've had a problem, they have all had a preceding dental event. Every, almost everyone, almost without exception. And so this is my message to the world is you cannot have a healthy heart if you don't have a healthy mouth. Wow, wow, wow. Why didn't you title your book that? Well, the title of the book is um, The Blood Pressure Blueprint and it says heart attacks are optional, strokes are stoppable, and dialysis is not your destiny. Because like you, I believe that if you have identification of biomarkers and you're willing to do the work, that we can reverse almost all chronic illness. And that includes cardiovascular disease and atherosclerosis. And, and those are the biggest killers, right? I mean, people, they, they separate out stroke from cardiovascular disease as a separate risk. They're the same thing. It's cardiovascular they're, disease. They're the it's same not heart thing. attack and stroke. They're the same disease. And so they have the same underlying causes, assessments, risk factors, and prevention techniques. Okay. So as far as the dentist, so you're training dentists, you have collaborations with dentists in your area, but how many dentists know about this? And if we were to seek out a biological dentist, how many of them would actually know about this? Even among the biological or functional dentists, there's still a small percentage that are trained. Um, the mission of AOSH is to spread this message far and wide. Um, I'm also a participant of the Bale Doneen method. That's where I first was introduced to this idea that dental contributors were a unidentified cause in many cardiovascular cases. And through that organization, I got introduced to the AOSH and all these dentists that are practicing oral and systemic health. I would say it's probably less than 1% of practicing dentists really do have a good understanding. But my mission is to identify, to teach the medical doctors so that they grab their dentists by the ears and bring them to conferences with them so that they can learn together. Because if I, as a dentist, have a medical doctor who understands this, I now have a large referral source to grow my dental practice and vice versa from the dentist to the medical doctor. And the, the real beneficiary is the patient. Because of course. now the patient will not have an event, right? Since I've been practicing this way for six years now, we've had zero heart attacks or strokes in any patient in the practice who's followed the protocol. And I will tell you, I must confess, I have to be 100% transparent. I did have one patient who had a heart attack, but let me tell you his story. He's a triathlete. He's super buff. You would never guess him to be a heart patient but he'd already had one heart attack and he came to see me hoping to not have another. 
So I did some work and I identified that he had untreated, undiagnosed sleep apnea. I diagnosed that he had untreated, undiagnosed insulin resistance and impaired glucose tolerance. I diagnosed that he had um, atherosclerosis, obviously, but in his carotid arteries, as well as in his coronaries, he had vessel disease that was very severe. And because he'd already had a heart attack, he was supposed to be taking aspirin, statin. I put it on, he had low vitamin D. I put him on vitamin D, fish oil, coenzyme Q10, and a CPAP machine. Okay. And he called me and he said, and I did blood work. And I said, you have high markers of oxidative stress. Your LDL is oxidized as measured by oxidized LDL. You have elevated F2 isoprostane. These are markers of oxidative stress. And you have low ADMA, which is a marker of nitric oxide. I said, these are all markers of oxidative stress. I think you're overtraining. I want you to cut your workouts down about 80% of what you're doing. He goes, I can't do that. I said, you're, oh, I've got biological evidence. He said, I don't believe you. I'm going to order a WHOOP device. It will tell me if I'm overtraining. And so the whoop was in the mail. He got COVID. So that increased his level of oxidative stress and inflammation. And then he got a toothache and his tooth got extracted and he developed dry socket and uh, a gum infection. And it was really inflamed. He was on the treadmill and I was actually at a dental conference lecturing and he called me and he said, I'm in the gym, I'm on the treadmill, the ambulance is on its way. I'm having crushing chest pain. I've broken out in a sweat. My left arm is hurting. My jaw is killing me. I know exactly what this is. And I'm heading back to the hospital for my other heart attack. So when I saw him in follow-up, I said, I must have missed a risk factor. I must have missed something. What did I not identify? And he goes, well, I wasn't taking any of the stuff you told me to take. I said, you weren't taking your vitamin D? No. You weren't taking your Lipitor, your Crestor? No. You weren't taking your CoQ10? No. Were you using your CPAP machine? No. Nothing. He had done nothing that I asked him to do. And he had another event. And it was the trigger was his toothache. So. Yeah. You, you, well, you can do so much. I don't count you know. him. I hope you give me credit. I don't count him as a heart attack. You don't attack count him. Practice. I don't blame you for not counting him because he didn't do anything. He didn't do what you had required him to do to help. So this is all really fascinating information. Um, you mentioned the carotid ultrasounds. Do you recommend that anybody over a certain age with certain risk factors, with certain genetic factors, do you recommend that, that in general? Like I look at myself, both parents died young, younger than I am now of heart attacks. I have LPA a little bit elevated. I have an LPA genetic factor. I don't have hypertension, but I take care of myself. Um, am I, should I go get a carotid ultrasound? That's why you this many birthdays, right? And this is the point is you can have those genetic risk factors. You can be Delta short deck, right? That says you might only live to be 55, but if you take care of yourself, if you baby your terrain, if you eat clean food and drink clean water and exercise most days of the week and spend time in gratitude and prayer and meditation and time in nature and time in community and have a purpose, you can outlive your genes, right? Sometimes we need better living through chemistry. Sometimes we have genetic 
um, SNPs or genetic mutations that are just bad actors for our cardiovascular health. And we'll want to take a PSCK9 inhibitor, for example, if you have familial hyperlipidemia. But you don't always have to, and especially if you can get rid of all those other concomitant risk factors. So who do I recommend CIMT for? Pretty much everybody over the so age. So tell of me what that is, CIMT. CIMT stands for carotid intima media thickness. It's a special measurement that's taken from a screening carotid okay. ultrasound. And there's no uh, contrast needed for that. No contrast needed. No contrast. Carotid ultrasounds yes. are generally covered by insurance, but when you add the CIMT measurement, for whatever reason, it's generally no longer covered by insurance. In my office, we do this test for under $200, so it's not a whopping expensive test. And we can use it because there's no radiation, there's no contrast, uh, it's painless, it takes less than 15 minutes to do. Um, we do them sometimes up to twice a year to track and monitor our progress to see, is the plan we're doing working, right? Working. Yeah. And, and yeah. so like, I, and I, and my patients love to see their numbers drop over time. They're like, yes, I'm doing this. I got this now. I understand where I am and where I'm going. And we can use that data to help drive it. That's awesome. And you said, you started to say who you recommend it for. So who should yeah, you get Yeah, so I recommend this? it to pretty much everybody over 40 because you can't look and tell. My triathlete patient, nobody would know that he's at risk for cardiovascular disease. He looks fit and buff, but he has ugly underlying insulin resistance and inflammation and, um, and bad, bad genetics. Um, People younger than 40, we sometimes do. We have seen in people with, in your family history, I would, if you have children, I would test your children. No, no age too young, 18. Get a baseline, see what it looks like. If they're already starting to show speed bumps in their arteries, they're already starting to form plaque. We have a grand opportunity to change the trajectory of their life, right? If they're willing. If they're willing, right? They've got to be willing to do the work. They have to be willing to do and the work. Sometimes right? at 18, yeah. they're not. Often at 18, they're Often not. At 18, Often they're at 24, not. they're not. But if we plant yeah. those seeds that you've got a yeah. risk, and this is going to be a problem, and this is a bigger problem, and now it's a bigger problem, then by the time maybe they're 25 or 30, they're really willing to make some changes, and we can facilitate that when they're ready. When they're ready. My my kids are fine. I mean, I, I've raised them from birth brainwash them into a healthy diet, healthy lifestyle, exercise, the whole bit, but my siblings. Siblings for sure. And, and you can't even look and tell like, like you have lipoprotein little a, what if your husband also has, their dad also has lipoprotein little a, and they're a double genetic mutation. If they've not had their genes tested, they might be um, at much higher risk. And, you know, that's a completely independent risk factor for the development of sudden death, right? From atherosclerotic vessel disease. And even in the cardiology literature, we see that for people who are equally treated for all their conventional blood pressure, blood sugar, cholesterol, and we get their LDL down below 70, which whether or not that's a good thing, that's what cardiologists like to do, right? If they have LP little a, LP little a, then they are at, they, they get no benefit 
from those aggressive treatments. They continue to die from cardiovascular disease. And that's in part because statin drugs make their LP little a worse. So they're driving their LDL down, but they're driving their LP little a up and it's an independent risk factor. Yeah. So we just did a podcast episode on that a couple of uh, episodes ago. So if you missed that one, guys, Go ahead and watch that one because or absolutely because because it's such an important yeah we do we do but this whole thing with the gums and the and the teeth um, I think you know more and more and and when I teach my practitioners and we talk about you know oxidized LDLs and we talk about LPA and we talk about looking at APOE genes and all this stuff but the gums right the gums and the teeth that's a so I'm a primary care provider. I'm not a dentist, I'm a family practitioner, but I do spit tests in my office. I have them collect a a saliva sample and we send it to the lab where they'll screen for what we call the um, red complex bacteria. And there are five of them. They have different names for AAPG, TD, TF, and FN. And um, these are Porphyromonas gingivalis is PG and it's one of the really nasty ones. First of all, it causes periodontal disease. So it causes inflammation of the gums. Fun fact, we probably got that bacteria from canines, probably sharing food with our dogs at the fireside uh, back when in the Neanderthal days, right? Licking our face, whatever. So we got this mouth bacteria because it lives off of blood. It makes a very inflamed gum tissue because it likes blood. It likes to be able to eat the amino acids that it gets from the destroyed blood cells. Now, once it makes this bloody mess, it hitchhikes on top of the white blood cells, and now it transplants through the bloodstream everywhere in the body. And Porphyromonas gingivalis has a nasty trick up its sleeve. It secretes something called phosphorylated dihydroceramides. This is wax. This is plaque. PG bacteria makes its own plaque. It makes plaque on your teeth, but it makes plaque in your brain. Think Alzheimer's disease. It makes plaque in your coronary arteries. Think atherosclerosis and heart disease. It makes plaque in your neck. Think stroke. The bacteria makes its own plaque. What a sucker that guy is, right? Do we want it in our gums? What if I can identify it in a spit test and then work with my dentist on an eradication program to get rid of PG? Then it also has another nasty habit. It shares its genes. It crosstalks with FN bacteria. So that FN guy that's hanging around now becomes a really ugly inflammatory bacteria, just like its friend PG. But if we get PG out of the neighborhood, FN becomes friendly again. So FN bacteria is is a commensal and a pathogen, depending on who its neighbors are. So we like to check it and see if it's there. This is good. Now, how do we get that kind of a test? Is that something that um, you have to have yeah, a special so there's, um, lab? There's, Yeah, there's three labs that I know of that are currently um, doing it pretty regularly. One is oral DNA labs. Their test is called Periopath. Another one is direct diagnostics. Their test is called HR5. And they only do the high-risk five bacteria. 
oral DNA does um, bacteria and yeast. So that's kind of also nice because in cases of resistant periodontal disease, that's not getting better with the usual scaling and planing and whatever the dentists are doing. There's often a yeast component. So not identifying it will make it hard to treat it if you don't know it's there because it doesn't look like thrush. It's hidden. Um, so oral DNA and periopath, direct diagnostics and HR5. And the new kid on the block is called Simply Perio. And it's Dave Vigorous Lab. I don't remember the name of the lab, but it's Simply Perio. And their test is unique because it tests the bacteria, the yeast, and viruses, including herpes, cytomegalovirus, and Epstein-Barr. So because those, that combination, right, this, our mouth is, is a cesspool. And it's supposed to have bacteria in there. They're not all bad guys. We need those mouth bacteria. Those mouth bacteria are critical. It is um, the, the mouth bacteria that live on the crypts of the tongue. They make nitric oxide synthase. That's the rate limiting step in making nitric oxide, right? So if we don't have good mouth bacteria, we don't make good nitric oxide. So you have to have a healthy mouth to have this miracle molecule in your bloodstream. So we, we don't want to annihilate it. We don't want to use bleach rinse all the time. We don't want to use Listerine every day. We don't want to try to sterilize this. That leads to dysbiosis of the mouth. So we want healthy, friendly bacteria living there. Identifying the healthy ones as well as the pathogens is a good idea. And so it's a simple spit test. And I don't generally treat these mouth bacteria when I identify them. I think that's the role of the dentist. But I identify them as just like I identify, you know, rheumatoid arthritis. And sometimes I consult a rheumatologist. Sometimes I can handle it myself. Sometimes I have mouth bacteria I can treat. Sometimes I need the dentist to help. Um, mostly I need the dentist to help. Especially if they have elevated myeloperoxidase or elevated LPPLA2. Because in those cases, I know we've got a serious inflammatory mouth problem that's contributing to my patient's systemic illness. So there's a lot to unpack here. And I want to ask you a question and then we're going to close, but I want to send people is, do you talk about all this stuff in your book? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I know you have a whole chapter devoted to, okay. And then I, last thing I want to, you said there was some mistakes that folks made in testing blood pressure. So I want to hear that so we can. Yeah. Walk away with so some I think strategy. that first of all, the most important thing that I learned about blood pressure checking is you have to have an empty bladder when you measure your blood pressure. Oh. If your bladder is full, you can raise your blood pressure by 15 points. If your bladder is painfully wow. full because you drank three glasses of water on the way to your fasting appointment and you've got to pee, you've got to pee, you've got to pee, but the doctor says, you know, let's get your vital signs and then I'll send you to the bathroom to collect your urine specimen and your bladder is painfully full while you're waiting, it can drive your blood pressure up 30 points and it can stay that way for three hours. So you do not want to have a painfully full bladder. That's a critical mistake that many of us make. You want your blood pressure checked after you've emptied your bladder. A second mistake, I happen to be vertically impaired. I am only five feet tall. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. <laughs> Everybody, in order to check their blood pressure, they need to be seated properly in a chair with their bottom to the bottom and their back to the back. Your back has to be supported in the chair. 
and your feet need to rest on the floor. With your feet on the floor and ankles not crossed, then you're in the right position to check blood pressure. Eight out of 10 chairs, I can't sit in with my back to the back and my feet on the floor at the same time. And if you're with those doctors who likes to put your patient on an exam table and let their legs dangle, that is an improper position for measuring blood pressure. Bottom to the bottom, back to the back, feet on the floor. In order for me to have my blood pressure properly measured, I must be offered a step stool or a, you know, a Chicago phone book to put my feet on. That makes sense. Right. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So those are the two main mistakes. Seven of them, and I list them all in the book, but those are two big ones. Empty bladder, bottom to the bottom, back to the back, feet on the floor. And then what happens in that one? You, the other time you said it goes up by yeah. 15 to 30 Well, points. each of those is a what little different. Like your case? back not supported, five to seven points. Your feet dangling, seven to 10 points. Ankles crossed, three to five points of uh, falsely elevated blood pressure. Falsely elevated. Okay, got it. <clears throat> At least it's airing on the side of elevated versus, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you're perfectly fine. And then they. And that yeah, can happen too. And this is why home this blood is pressure stuff. monitoring is just like we would never treat a diabetic based on a single finger stick blood sugar from the office. We need to see what their readings are at home in different circumstances. The same is true of blood pressure. We're starting to get much better about allowing patients home blood pressure readings to keep track because you, you can have white coat hypertension. It's a real thing. People have normal blood pressures at home, but sky high blood pressures in the office. We also have this thing called masked hypertension, which is the exact opposite. People are like, oh, they get in their zone. They go to the doctor. They're like, oh, my blood pressure is going to be fine. And it is. But at home, they blow a gasket and their blood pressure is 190 over 100. And that's called mass hypertension. And that exists too. So we would not know that if patients weren't doing home blood pressure readings. This is so cool. So I'm going to just, sum there were a lot to unpack here. And I just want to summarize yeah. the main tests, you know, assessments that we can do to identify risk. There's plenty more, but the myeloperoxidase, the LPPLA2, uh, and those are both Blood Those tests. are both yes. um, blood tests. And then the um, bacteria in the mouth, the, there's three different ones yes. you identify. And those those are saliva tests. So notes. There's also in your book. And those are saliva tests. And then the blood pressure appropriate. And the fourth one is the carotid pressure. ultrasound with yeah. CIMT. And the carotid ultrasound, the CIMT. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to go out and get all these tests made. Uh, to check on my elevated risk factor from genetic factors and mouth problems. Yeah, I think I inherited my dad's bad mouth. Um, and, and I did want to say something about this because often we find a problem. You know, when we do these tests, I find an issue and patients are like, I thought I was perfectly healthy and you found all these things. I'm like, well, yeah, I know. But I look under a lot of rocks. You know, I look, I, I look really deep. And to me, this is such fantastic news that we identified a problem before you had sudden death, which is the first symptom in 50% of patients with this condition. So we found it early. It was, this is a grand opportunity for us to intervene 
and change the trajectory of your future in a really painless way without a trip to the hospital, without an ICU stay, and without a tragedy for your family to endure. So I like to think of this as great news when we identify somebody with cardiovascular disease, atherosclerosis. This is phenomenal. So we've been talking with Dr. Ellie Campbell, the author of the almost almost released or probably released by the time you know some of you are seeing this, um, called The Blood Pressure Blueprint. Can you hold it up so people can see it? If we're on, on YouTube watching, you can see it. And I highly recommend that you get this. Every practitioner should have this book on their shelves, should be reading this book because we get to see people and we can help them to identify risk before they have a stroke, before they have a heart attack, before they die suddenly without even knowing that they had a problem. So we have the ability not just to intervene and get them on good lifestyle and good diet and meditation and all those things, but to let people know in advance that there's some risk factors going on and that they may have to step up their game a little bit. They may have to do more. They may have to go in and get some advanced work done on their teeth. So parting words for our practitioners listening. Heart attacks are optional. Strokes are stoppable. Dialysis is not your destiny if you're willing to get the tests and do the work. Thank you so much, Dr. Ellie. And for all of you listening, um, we are thrilled to be here to provide you with state-of-the-art information to help, not just help people who are already sick, but to help people who think they're well before they get sick, identify these factors and not let them become the next statistic. And knowing from my own family history, I don't want to be the next statistic. And I know that there's those tendencies there, and I'm going to get a lot of these tests done right away. So thank you, Dr. Ellie. And for those of you who want more, go visit the other podcast episodes. We did one on LP little a, we did one on APOE, and we have a lot of others planned. And come to our Shine event, which is on the end of October 2023, and it's all about cardiovascular disease assessments, genetics, and lifestyle factors. So thank you so much. And until next time, shine on. Thanks for listening to Reinvent Healthcare. We are part of the movement to change healthcare for the better. If you liked this episode, leave a rating and a review. And for more resources to support you in growing a thriving and fulfilling practice, visit our website at inemethod.com.